Hello and welcome to A Little Bit of Wellness. I'm joined by Paul Sayers from Sayers Strength. Paul, welcome to the show. How are you, my man? Hello, I'm Mark. Thank you for having me on. No problem, no problem. So we're just taking it back kind of to start with you. So obviously we haven't really had many conversations and we've had a few obviously before this. But bring me back to the start. Take me back to your childhood, what school was like, what living in your neighbourhood was like. What was all that like for you? Uh, yeah, so I'm from Lestal. Um was raised in Lestal and had a reasonably typical upbringing. Nothing, nothing too extreme. Um, went to school in Lestal as well and wasn't too big of a fan of it, which yeah, along the way led me to become a work for myself and was drawn towards that. Um, still played a lot of music and still done a lot of art growing up and still make art. And along the way that had led me to get into training in one way, uh, that a kind of independent act would have led me to enjoy training on my own uh, as opposed to with a team sport. But it took me many years until I was a late teenager before I ever got into training, in terms of strength training. Yeah, so like in terms of school, you wouldn't have played team sport, things like that. So were you more, like you said, you're kind of more independent. You were more focused on a kind of individual thing. So playing music, acquiring skills on an individual basis. Yeah. And that still kind of applies now with your training. Yes, that would be, uh, I'd like to look at it uh, independently. And as a coach as well, that kind of pushed me to push coaching for individuals rather than making grand generalizations. So definitely, definitely added to it and added to how I approach it. Yeah, interesting. So in terms of like school and that, is there anything that took your fancy? Was it just your kind of creative subjects like your music, art and things like that? Or was there anything else? Um, no, that was, that was mainly it. English, um, I enjoyed. We didn't have the chance to do music, uh, but I was playing it outside of school and art I enjoyed. And uh, I'd mentioned you before, but anything that didn't appeal to me wouldn't have been on my radar at all. Which is a, a double-edged sword. The things that I enjoy, I'll get uh, exceptionally involved in. But if I don't have an interest in it, it, uh, it won't come across my mind at all. Which can have its ups and downs as well. But, it can uh, do, yeah. yeah. Um, like if you're not passionate about something, it's hard to get motivated about it. But then, say if you're trying to build a relationship with someone and they're interested in it, it's nearly you have to kind of take an interest in it too. So it's... So you went on from there and as you said, you're more individual based. When did you start kind of getting into the gym itself? Um, Obviously, you didn't go straight into strength training, but when did you start getting into actually going to the gym? Uh, So I'd done parkour, funnily enough, for about two or three years. I think the bones of three years as a teenager. But I drifted away from it. Um, Hadn't done anything for ages and then as... A late teenager, a cousin of mine, introduced me to training, dragged me to the gym. Um, probably a typical story for a lot of people, just someone was like, hey, look, you'll probably enjoy this, I should probably do it. And while I didn't enjoy the training, um, I very much enjoyed the fact and was intrigued by the fact that I couldn't do anything. So when I first went to train, I couldn't do anything wrong. I couldn't do any weight push-ups, I couldn't do a plane. Have no capacity to, to do even normal stuff like squatting or just bending over. I wasn't able to do it, but the fact that I couldn't do it intrigued me and, and it really compelled me towards training because I didn't want to I didn't want to be a prisoner of my own body in a sense that I didn't want to have a body and not control it. And once I got to that stage, which was very quickly starting training, that's kind of what that's what uh, set the seeds as such to start. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was the right level of challenge for you. You kind of found something that really drew you in. It was, it was something you couldn't actually do and it's something you wanted to master. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so t- tell me what it was like. Say you didn't know how to squat properly or say you didn't know how to maybe get into a deadlift position. How long did those things take you to execute those skills? Did you have help along the way? How did you kind of master it? Yeah, I was a little bit of help along the way. Like at the very start, I was shown some things, but you know, you get shown it. You forget it. You you don't understand why you should be doing it a specific way. So things that I got I got very good at picking things off the ground really quickly, um, and then because I got good at it quickly, I enjoyed it really quickly. So I got compelled towards that. But it took me so I think within my first two years training, I'd gotten up to about the two hundred and twenty kilo deadlift, but I couldn't squat like one hundred and forty kilos at that stage. 
So there was movements that I absolutely excelled at initially, and then there was things I just could not wrap my head or my body around. Um, and that took ages to figure out. So there were things that I got immediately, and there was things that took years and years. Particularly the squat. It's only in the last couple of years I've really, truly learned how to squat for myself to be able to gain proper strength in it and express that strength as well. And so what was that like kind of mentally? Um, so obviously, like as you said at the start, it was something that was challenging to you, and then you ended up mastering one skill, but another skill wasn't coming with it. How did you deal with that kind of challenge? Um, I didn't see it. I didn't understand it at the time, so I wasn't bothered by it. I, I didn't really, again, I wasn't aware of the sports and training or what your true necessities would be because I was so, so uh, novice at it. So it was really just one lift got good, and then it didn't really progress beyond that. It just got very good very quickly. And I wasn't really too aware of, oh, well, you should be able to do these things or you should at least be attempting to gain more strength in them. So, yeah, I think out of ignorance, it was fine because I didn't know any better. Yeah, okay. And say with yourself then, the fact you didn't really know kind of what you were at, what possessed you to actually go into the industry as a whole and study the, into the industry? That's, that, that in itself then is what pushed me towards it was once I started to do my own research, like through online, just reading books, uh, but mainly online at the very start, um, real basic stuff, just watching YouTube videos, going through different websites and forums. I started to realize, well, like, oh, I'm good at only one thing, and there's a whole plethora of other lifts or modalities that are different forms of barbell training or strength training in general that I just, not only was I uh, in a, inadequate at them, I didn't really know what they were. So once I started to find out, oh, there's different sports, there's different modalities that then really started to pull me into I should learn more about this through the years then that got me into coaching yeah so w was it always kind of based off okay we're going to go to the strength training route here or was that something that you found after you started actually doing these lifts yeah um strength training was the only thing that really interested me you know I never was never concerned about being you know as muscular as possible or interested in bodybuilding or yeah, it was always strength, and it, and it, as far as I can tell, it probably will always be strength. Um, specifically, the skill acquisition that 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 pushes me forward to be able to master the thing. Sure, like your lifts will go up, your numbers will get better, you'll do better in competition. But personally, for myself, just increasing my capacity for skill seems to constantly drive me forward. Okay, so obviously, like you, you've competed at strength competitions and all that. What? Tell me about the preparation for those. Do you take supplements? Is there how do you periodize your training? What, what is the preparation phase like? Um, that's always going to be individual to the person. For myself, I really, really enjoy preparing for a competition. Um, I'll also do preparation and training for. I'll do the preparation for competition and training as well, even if there's not a competition, just to constantly be testing like the, my ability to. Or what's referred to as peaking for a competition so it'll typically look like the weights will start to obviously pick up you'll be doing a bit more specific work for whatever you're competing in so you'll be doing a little bit less that is a general strength and a bit more specific strength um i'll usually eat up into competition meaning that i'll usually try and gain weight to be a, a higher weight because i'm not tall but i'm not short either i'm six foot on the button so i don't want to be too light because I don't have enough muscle on my frame to justify that. Uh, yes, at least. So training will get pretty intense. The sessions will get pretty long. You'd be doing a whole lot of specific work to the competition movements. So the movements you're going to be doing in competition and a reduction in the amount of general training. Um, it's a process I quite enjoy. I, I like it and I, I thrive in it. Some people find it very, very challenging. Everyone finds it challenging, including myself. But I definitely enjoy the process of it and always look forward to it. Um, it can be stressful, but it's it's an enjoying it's an enjoyable process because of its challenge. So it's um, it's something that people look at as kind of a daunting task, and it is a bit daunting. But they they may um, overthink it a little bit. It can be pretty stressful depending on. Okay, and say the first time you prepared for competition, was it based off your own research? And you were kind of winging it as such and just saying okay i've read people do this and you were trying to take them as best you could or had you someone guiding you through okay this is the step-by-step -step process no the first time i done it it was a lot of just my own 
my own research, my own practice, my own name. And also, Peter, no, that's not also completely true. I was training in a gym around a lot of people who were competing. So you get a lot of advice. You get a lot of people who are happy to help because in strength training in the various sports, they're very community-based and you will get a lot of help from people. Even if you don't ask people, who will gladly help you and they'll just extend some some kind words or straight up advice and, and it won't be one people even if you're out looking for it. Um, but yeah, the first time it, it, it's a big shock in a fun way because you think you have it figured out, you know, you're a novice, you don't uh, understand the breadth of information that exists. So you think, oh, I have a pretty good idea about this and then behold, you don't. But that's a, it's a pretty rewarding situation to go in, think you know something, realize you don't know as much as you had imagined and then have to Reassess yourself. Reassess uh, what you know and what you don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And say with strength training now, before you compete, is there a tapering off period? Yeah. Um, most people will have some form of a taper. That, again, is, is down to the individual. I'll taper, but it'll be a really, really short period. The more advanced people, um, it's a pretty like awkward trending scale. The more advanced someone is, the more load they're handling. Um, sometimes load relative to body weight as well. If they're a lighter body weight and handling uh, extreme loads, they're going to have to taper for quite some time. They're really going to have to allow themselves to to adjust to the load that's being used, and then they'll have to deload as well at the competition. But that's a generalized statement. It really is individualized. Some people will do three weeks of tapering before a competition. I'll have a short little deload for a week beforehand. But my volume will be reduced. So there's always a little bit of balance. Your total might be pretty high, so your necessity to uh, taper might be that high. But again, it is down to the individual. There will always be some form of rest regardless of Yeah, so it's kind of similar to other sports. You're you're reducing your volume, but you're keeping kind of the intensity up. Absolutely, yeah. It, it That'll be, to my understanding, in all sports, I know you're based in team sports, field sports, It'll be pretty much the same ideas. The execution might be different, but it'll be the same uh, theory written on paper. It'll look pretty similar. Okay, so when you say you were studying, obviously you studied in Dublin when you were preparing for like to get into gym and things. So you first worked in Dublin. Um, what was that like? And can you compare what gyms are like in Dublin as opposed to what they are around, like around here? Yeah, so I went to college. Um, I done UCD's first year. The first year that they had hosted a, a personal training course, it's a year-long course. Um, again, I was very naive at the time, thought I knew far more than I did, so I'm glad that I went to the course. I learned a lot and um, opened different doors. It shows you different things you're not you're not fully aware of. Um, that was enjoyable, but in terms of differences, I mean, you'll have the same stuff. All gyms will be full of people that are general training, general fitness general health, general weight loss. Um, the major difference though in Dublin is you'll get a lot of people who are training for bodybuilding, because it's very popular, obviously, and a lot of people training for powerlifting, because it's also very popular. Um, obviously, down here, or just in more rural areas in general, the amount of people doing that greatly diminishes, and the access to equipment's obviously a whole lot less, so they tend not to stick around too much in the rural areas. Um, very enjoyable though, like even though I'm not uh, interested in bodybuilding, there's obviously a great appreciation to those who, uh, who train and those who compete in it as well. It's a very good environment to be around because even if you're not involved in the sports, you really start to see how hard someone can train. You start to see the differences in training and you, you do pick up a lot of information from it because you'll always be around people. Most of the time, you're going to be around people who are far better at it than you or have far greater depth of knowledge. So that that's really the major difference. Is you're going to be the smallest fish in a pond. And that's a great position to be in. Yeah, you can either swim or you can uh, go straight back to shore. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, to me, that was definitely the best thing about it was just being the very bottom of a ladder and having so much access to information. Yeah, um, no, that's interesting. Um, I hear what you're saying when you say um, like places like Dublin would have more like bodybuilders, powerlifters and things. Like you often see especially in cities, you that's kind of the main focus. Like, you know, there's gyms nearly dedicated to that alone. Yeah. Um, whereas around here, it's you have a general gym. Um, yeah. There's very few places you see, okay, we're focused solely on that. So 
Uh, it's yeah. interesting. Um, so then you developed signed at Sayre Strength, which is your new brand now at the moment. Um, when did that come about? Was that when you were in Dublin uh, or in college or had you even before that? Yeah, so I finished college. I started training pretty quickly after that. And I wanted it, like, um, personally for myself, I wanted it to have my name in it. I wanted it to be mine. And I wanted it to be an extension of myself. So I've just, yeah, I mean, I know it's not the flashiest name, but it is just an extension of this is me and this is the modality that I am able to give towards something. This is the modality that I work with. Um, I spent about four, just over four years, specifically in person, doing general, like personal training work, and had been doing online programming for competitive strength athletes as well at the same time, which was a huge amount of work. And it got to a point it was a bit too excessive. So it was too many hours. It was seven days a week without fail. Um, so I toned it down a little bit. I reduced the amounts I took in person and then eventually just left in-person training about two years ago, roughly. Um, and now only work online dealing with people who compete in sports and also those who are just interested in training for strength. Okay, and I would say, like a lot of people know, like me included, I find it a lot more difficult to train someone online in terms of to build a camaraderie, etc. With strength training, so obviously you need to be identifying things such as water at max, etc, etc. How do you find that when you're coaching someone online? Do you, is, it, is trust really key? Yeah, there's a lot of variables in it, and it took a long time to be able to one, to figure out the variables, um, but also to know what, also to know how much extension of trust you can give to someone, how much you can uh, allow someone to do things and how much you need to be on top of them to really get information out of them. So it is a long process and it took a lot of years to be able to figure that out and, and basically just get good at it. So I do a lot of program management, so that'll be spreadsheet work to be able to program their training over the longer term. The benefit with strength training is there's always an understanding that it's slow, it's a slow process. Um, and even in the industry of itself, that's that's a well understood thing by the majority, that if you're working with a coach, it's not going to be a couple of weeks and the coach will typically not take someone on if that's the case, that they're looking for something short. Um, that the benefit of it is you're expecting a long-term process so you really start to get to know the person. So obviously have general stuff, like they'll have a lot of questionnaires, we'll have a lot of phone calls when they start up training. Um, so you are going to know pretty in-depth. You're going to have a pretty in-depth understanding of their, their general health, their background, uh, if they have injuries, previous uh, sports that they may have done, physical endeavors, whatever it may be, um, how they manage stress, food, all the usual sorts of things. Pretty quickly, you'll get an understanding of how they are as a person, so how you would communicate to them, because as you know yourself as a coach, and you deal with team sports, so it's obviously going to be pretty stressful, and you're in interpersonal skills, interpersonal skills is essentially what wins the situation. So you have to be able to figure out how they communicate, and then you have to be able to communicate back to them in a manner that they can understand. So that that took the longest, but it's, it's something that I'm, I think I'm pretty good at, no, but it did take a long time to develop that understanding of youth to communicate to the individual in a way that they understand, and then you will be on the same page together. I mean, there's obviously the nuts and bolts of how you interact with the programming, but that's that's the specific details. Like the general skill is figuring out who they are, finding out their background, and then understanding how you communicate to each other, and then the programming can take off, and it, and it can be a pretty good experience from there. Yeah, a person-first approach is kind of the, always the best way because if you can't get it out of them in terms of mentally, you're not going to get anything physically. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. It's always the case. It always falls back to, bar the rare exception, it always falls back to you have to be able to communicate with them and they have to understand what you're saying and then everything will work in your favor. 100%. And so, obviously, like you're talking about your style of coaching there, you spoke about training in regards and the school system. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so we briefly mentioned this before, but I was grand in school. Like I didn't particularly enjoy it, but once I got to secondary school, I very much wasn't interested in it. Um, and that led me to kind of having a, a chip on my shoulder in school, <laughs> which was fine. But after school, I started to really think about it. And as a coach, 
you're a form of an educator. And over the years, I really started to consider what, what that role of an educator is. So school and the train or the school system and training, the way I would view it is school is very boxed off and it's very distinct. It's quite militant in a sense. You have to be told what to do. There's a certain parameter of answers that's uh, acceptable. There's a certain way of conducting yourself that's acceptable. It's very set in stone and there is no, there is no encouraged sense of individuality. It's very much, I give you information, you process it, you give me back something that I need. Coaching and how I would very specifically do coaching is individualized of you give the athletes, the client, whoever they may be, a certain set of boundaries and they, they won't be set in stone. It's more so a certain amount of guidelines, certain directions to follow, and you allow them to naturally create their own path. So you're really just guiding them along a certain path rather than feeding them very specific information, very specific uh, them, And then if they don't meet that, they're a failure or they're not up to the standard of the situation, which certainly isn't the case. It's more looking at the individual. How can I help them? How can I guide them and give them the necessary information and allow them to find their own process rather than looking at it in a very mechanical binary sense? So that would be my view of it is the form of an educator and coaches are a form of an educator. Help them rather than force them into a situation. So allow them to help themselves rather than forcing something very specific from them. Yeah, um, freedom of expression is really key and it allows them to flourish as well and put their own stamp on things. Um, I see what you mean about school. Everything was like, if it's not written a certain style or not done a certain way, yeah. it's not the right answer. So you could have all the information, all the pieces of the puzzle correct, but if it's not done a certain way, it's wrong. So yeah, coaching 100% is, it comes back to like you were saying, it's based off the individual. If you can't communicate with the individual, if you can't let them express themselves as an individual, you're going to get nowhere. Yeah, um, and that can be an issue sometimes with coaching. You may get some people who will come to you looking for something similar to that. And while there are people who can offer that, I still don't think it's the I don't think it's the correct way, or the most uh, useful way of interacting with someone. Sometimes people will come and going. I need a very specific outcome, and I need a very specific. Uh, I have a specific set time for that to happen. And while that can be the case, and obviously that can happen, I don't think it really gives. It's not the right. Um, it's not the right manner to approach things. It, it can. It, it can end up being quite robotic or mechanical, and there's no. Um, there's no give or take. There's no expression in it, and there's quite often no. Un, uh, no. How would I describe it? Quite often there's no true understanding of the process. They look to the mechanical sense. They look at it in a binary sense as opposed to there is a process there is a certain amount of um, back and forth and it's not going to be a binary thing yeah that's that's kind of the extent of what that is yeah I, I think feedback is very important so that feedback doesn't necessarily have to be verbal it can be even body language it can be anything at all but if you're getting feedback and a response off someone you kind of know how to adjust to them and know okay if they actually give you feedback, you can say, right, we can adjust. There's no problem. We'll do what you enjoy. You don't have to do it this way necessarily. Like, like yes. I had a, a client came to me recently and said, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I was like, yeah, you'll be gone in six weeks. Do you know, yeah. there, like, there, there's a long-term plan here. You can't just like literally tell you what to do. You're going to get sick of that, you know, so there has to be feedback. Yeah, I mean, and like using that as an example of tell me what to do and I'll do it. There are people who that does suit, but it's far less people than they would there's far fewer of them than people would like to admit um, there's no learning or distinct education in that sense it becomes again similar to the school system of tell me what to do so I want these set parameters I'll memorize it perfectly and I'll have some end result and at the end of it they don't understand why they were given those parameters and that's the real big thing of like why there's no why behind it they didn't understand it they did they don't have the process ingrained in themselves so yeah they'll be gone they'll fail it won't be a repeated success yeah there's a lack of meaning behind it as well it just you know, it's not it's not meaningful enough but talk about kind of meaning and things like that you're a real you're really fond of the irish language you often post it in your 
Um, I see it in your post on time on Instagram. You might have a caption in Irish. What does the Irish language mean to you? Um, yeah, it's a funny one because I, I talked to you about this before. I used to be verbally fluent to a very high level as a teenager and I had stopped using that and obviously lost the skill completely. So only recently I started trying to relearn that. So my enthusiasm is high, but my uh, my skills are exceptionally loaded. So I am very much at the, the, the lowest rung in the ladder at the moment. But I'm enjoying using it. Um, I have some friends as well who would use Irish passively in conversation. So it's something that it's something that I'm intrigued by. Um, but to answer your question more specifically, it's a way of interacting with it's a way of interacting with myself, but it's a way of interacting with culture, my environment, and obviously the history of the culture and environment that's around you. So similar to how people may use food, probably as good of an example, you use food as a way to communicate with your environment. Um, I'd see that the same way with the Irish language and it, it allows me to have, to gain more of an identity as someone who's Irish living in Ireland. Yeah, that's really interesting using kind of food as an example, um, like your relationship kind of, yeah. Um, how do you feel the Irish language is going in terms of, is are we losing the kind of history and the culture of it or do you think it's coming back a bit? Um, to my understanding, like I won't have I won't have a proper awareness of that, but just from my own opinion and understanding, it seems to be gaining in popularity, and it seems to be that there's far more of an awareness with people who are our age, either side of our age, um, who have an awareness that if it goes if it goes away too much, if it diminishes too much, it will disappear, and then there's there's a, a manner of communicating with yourself and your environment that will that won't come back in; it will be gone. Um, yeah, like again, I don't have a proper insight to that, but to my understanding and awareness, it seems to be increasing somewhat in popularity, and just people are more conscientious of the fact, conscious of the fact that uh, it should be kept alive, even if it's in a passive sense. Yeah, I think it's one of those that comes in circles. So, like, there'll be a time, say, for 10, 20 years, where everyone will be like, it'll be pushed to the side, and then it'll come back into place again. That seems how it is. Yeah, sure. Like the same, uh, what they the in journalism was referred to as like the Celtic revival in the 60s and 70s. And obviously that's Ireland's greatest moment of music. And you could say equally of art as well. And 50 years before that, something similar happened. So yeah, it seems to be that there is uh, another cycle of it coming about, which is it's a great thing to be, not that I'm involved in it, but it's a great thing to be aware of and that it's nice to be able to see it happen. 100%. And just to go back onto the training, so in terms of you, you, you really emphasize how to always be systematic over, like system over method, basically. What, what, what do you mean by that? Um, so in terms of a system versus a method, the system is the higher, the higher governing body and a method is someone's expression of that. Um, years ago, I used to get very, very compelled to emulating certain methods um, emulating certain cultures expressions of systems i.e their methods and found great success in that initially in my own training and training others that they would eventually come to a point where it would it'd be a wall you'd reach a wall there'd be a limitation and then from there that kind of popped me on a little bit and made me aware of that emulating methods is fine but a system is what's really important so a system being a higher set of ideals or a theory that governs a way of organizing training. So a method is someone's interpretation of it, but the system's what's important. Because with a system, you can individualize it to yourself or as a coach to your athlete. A method is just someone else's use of it, and you're always going to be one step behind. You're always trying to emulate rather than to create yourself. Okay, so for the viewers just that don't actually understand even what that means, could you give us an example of what is, say, a system? What's your system? And give an example of what a method might be. Sure. So there is, in strength training and just training in general, there's various systems that are used to organize the training. There's a thing called concurrent. There's linear periodization. Uh, concurrent is often referred to as nonlinear. There's block. And there's varying, there's different types of those, but for the most part, there's those three. So you'll have those three as the higher the higher theories, and then you'll have individuals will pull from those to make their own methods. That's essentially all it is. There's obviously there's a whole birth of deeper meaning to that, 
and you can specialize in that. But that is, that's the extent of it. There's the systems, and then individuals pull their own bits from. Hundred um, percent. But how important do you feel it is that every individual has their own method based off the system? <clears throat> um, again, as someone who pushes individuality, I think it's exceptionally important. But there has to be a you know there has to be a time to creating your own ideas on training or organizing training. So to say that I have a method is is true in one sense because I'm a coach and I have my own individual preferences but I don't have a method that would be so far removed from others that it could be regarded as completely individual. So that's something that people should also be aware of, coaches specifically should be aware of, is make yourself individual, like do take your own preferences, your own biases to an extent. I mean, you should have some model of the biases, but at the same time, if you haven't been coaching for decades, which I obviously haven't, don't try and reinvent the wheel. Take your time, build up your skills, and slowly you'll develop your own method. But don't jump into it into the deep end, expecting that you'll just suddenly create some profound method because you won't. And yeah, I often see it as take as much as you can from everyone else. Yes. Make to your own. Exactly, and that'll work, and it won't work. You'll you'll find success with some of it, and slowly you'll be able to tweak that, and and then you'll be able to realize your. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's something interesting, actually. Um, it's something you've nearly convinced me on at this stage. You all, you said in a post, train harder versus smarter. Now, the last mm. time I talked to you about this, I was like, ah, I disagree with that. And I, you know, yeah. I, I had a walk, I had a walk that day down the road, and I was like, Jesus, this dude makes sense. Like, if you don't train hard, you can train smart all you want. Like, so yeah. I was just thinking to myself, I had been training smart. I put an inverted commas for a while, but I wasn't training hard enough, and I wasn't getting the benefits. So if you if you don't have the basis of hard training like where are you going so can you just tell the viewers kind of what you mean by train harder not smarter absolutely so training harder and training smarter will use those as two two different entities though they will meet at some stage so for absolute beginners or novices uh, in any sport or even just training in general if they're just training for themselves you can overcomplicate your training way too much and you can do it almost as soon as you start training and it can lead to it can lead to a whole myriad of issues. The major problem is you, and I don't want to say problem. I want to say the major aim initially, and what I would push towards beginners when I start to train them is you have to learn how to work exceptionally hard first, and then we can find more complicated manners or more uh, intricate manners of organizing the program. The very first hurdle that people will find, and there are obviously exceptions, but as a generality, the very first hurdle people will find is they don't really know what intensity is. And I don't mean intensity like just one rep maxes, because that's what usually people think of, but absolute intensity, how to get specific muscles to work, how to train specific patterns at a really high level, how to keep long sessions going with some reasonable level of intensity or to maintain output for a whole session, you know, session after session. Because it's easy to, to jump the gun and go, okay, I've got loads of different parameters in my programming, but if you cannot meet that intensity, you're not going to get the proper training effect. And that's that's the primary objective. Again, it's not to push you to just do one rep maxes. It's to be able to get a proper training effect out of you. That's the absolute first thing that I'll always push towards, and I think it should be the absolute basis for, obviously, there's going to be exceptions, but barring the, the exceptions, absolutely everything programming you. No matter what your modality is, because again, I'm talking about sprint training, we deal with more team-based sports, there's still going to be intensity in that, and they still need to be able to find that intensity first, because if they can't, they're not going to be able to keep up with the demands that will meet them further down the line. So they'll end up spinning around constantly in the semi-novice, semi-intermediate stage with absolutely no progress in the long term. Yeah, like the main thing that kind of convinced me on it was at the end of the day, what's the first session that I always do with a client? It's a fitness test. Mm -hmm. It's to know where their base level of intensity is, to know how you can get the most out of them. So it, yeah. it's obvious, like, you know, and obviously, like you said, some people, it's not all about the one rep max. It's not all about the 100% threshold. Some people might be working off 80%, job pretending on their goal. But yeah. If you don't have that set level, you know, at that particular time, you've nothing to work off. Yeah, and you have to be able to, as you said, as a novice or a beginner, you have to know where they are. You have to know where they stand when they come to you first. 
but you have to be able to guide them to the fact that like training only gets harder. Like you'll get better at it, but it doesn't get any easier. You just get better at accepting the challenges of it. So if you never learn how to gain that intensity and maintain it, as I said, you'll always just go in a circle of novice to intermediate. And like we've mentioned before, there's different intensities. So obviously if you're doing endurance work, that's a different, there's a different relative intensity. If you're doing skill work, it's different. If you're doing stuff that's maximal strength, so one rep maxes, if you're doing more muscular endurance to specific muscle actions. I mean, there's varying levels of it, but the same rules still apply. You have to understand what intensity is relative to that because you're going to need more and more capacity for it as time goes on. Yeah, 100%. Um, and just to kind of move on, just because so we can kind of get everything covered, but it's it's really interesting take, by the way, Trent Harder. The more I thought of it, the more I kind of grew in it. But, <laughs> You spoke about repentance with um, your kind of trend. Can you talk about that a bit? Um, yeah, that's a little bit more out of left field, I guess, in a sense. But it's something that I enjoy. <laughs> um, obviously, there's the religious connotation towards it. And I mean, there's obviously merits in that, but that's not specifically what I'm talking about. Um, repentance or to repent in training. And again, obviously, these, these are cliches, but they're cliches for a reason. The same things apply in life as those in training is to know the habits or the patterns that you've developed that may not facilitate or benefit you anymore. It may be a hindrance to you. It's to recognize them one, but the second part is to take action against them. That's that's really the two parts of it is, yes, you're recognizing you may be doing something in training or in life that no longer benefits you, but the second part of it is to take action against it, not let it just be, oh, yeah, I'm aware of that, but yes, I'm aware of it, and now I'm doing something to challenge that. That's essentially the extent of it. I know there's a larger religious connotation to it, but that's specifically what I mean. Yeah, so it's basically a lot of it has to do with kind of behavior. So if you're doing something that no longer benefits you or you're doing something that's actually kind of hindering you more than anything, it's yes. just kind of not just recognize it, like recognize it as a very important step. You've made half, you're halfway there by recognizing it, but actually taking action on it. Um, yeah. Do you, do you feel it's something people struggle to do? Absolutely, because I mean, we gain patterns or we gain habits and they become comforting. And I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't have comforts, of course. Of course, it's going to be difficult because change change is hard in any regard. Um, and again, bringing it back to, to strength training or just training in general is like the work harder and smarter and learning that intensity will have to grow over time. You're also going to have to develop an awareness and a skill of things that may have benefited me initially, got me stronger or fitter to begin with. They're not always going to work, and that can be anything from a slight annoyance or something that you're unaware of all the way to a fucking really big, difficult challenge to accept that, like, these things that made me good at, especially if you're involved in competitive sports, these things that made me good at it initially, they might not work anymore, and you're going to have to accept that, like, the person you were before isn't the person that you will need to be to go forward. Yeah, no, I, I agree with it definitely. Like the way I kind of looked at it was, I, I actually looked at it on a personal level. So you see, I see so many people repeat the same cycle of behavior over and over again. So often I'd see someone say, oh, they're in a situation because they're overthinking about something. And, but they recognize it, but they never act on it to be able to change it. And it's something that, I don't know, it's something that it's ingrained in society that people actually don't make the changes that will improve their life like. Yeah, well, I mean, look, we're humans, we're animals. We still want to keep things comfortable. Change is difficult because it's, there's an unknown element to it, and obviously unknown is challenging. But, yeah, it's just a necessity of moving forward. Um, and, again, in the coaching sense, it's obviously things that I would have done and found myself falling into of, like, oh, I'm aware that there's this issue happening, but, fuck, why haven't I done anything about it? Relative yeah. to, like, people that I would train or, obviously, relative to my own training. But yeah, it's definitely an, an exceptionally important thing to not leave it at just awareness, to actually make the action make a difference. And I mean, that might involve difficult conversations, aggravated or heated conversations with yourself or with others. It may involve things that people don't like, but that is the nature of, of honesty and that's part of what uh, repentance is. Yeah, 100%. I, I actually went through it myself recently enough. I, um, I, I was going nowhere in my training. Um, I was doing the same things and I wasn't, I knew the stuff I needed to do, but I what? I wasn't doing it. I, I just, I wouldn't do it. I just couldn't grasp myself to do it. So I hired a coach, um, working with um, 
you know Dylan Dylan O'Leary inside in the gym but working with Dylan now for the last while Dylan's so good with performance like he works with athletics and things and he's based off what I do and I've just you've the new lease of life by making the change it's unbelievable like the last six weeks have been the best training I've done ever yeah. because of that change that you make it's amazing how taking the step to make the change makes such a difference and yeah it's like I've had coaches in the past before and it can be an excellent it's obviously an excellent tool like a coach I've had coaches before and um, it's a great tool to help your training go forward it obviously helps you as a coach because you learn more well at the very base of it it can just be a great kick up the hole to actually start doing the things you're supposed to be doing and if you don't someone's breathing down your neck because of it and that's that's great, man. You have someone chasing you all the time, and that can really be a positive change for however long you end up being coached by them. Yeah, accountability is such a huge thing with training. Do you know, mm-hmm. it, for me, it's just to know the fact that I have to report back to them. It's like they, no one would ever have to say, "Oh, you have to train today to me." But it's a, it's some days I might not train myself because I have no one to say I have the session done to. Do you know, so that's that's often it's amazing. The mind controls so much. Yeah, really yeah. Does. Patterns are easy to slip into. Very much yeah, so. Definitely. Um, Paul, we're near the end of the show. Jeez, it absolutely flies anytime I have a conversation with you. It goes so fast. But I went to a segment that I did on Instagram before Christmas. It was called The Walsh Weekly. And I have three questions to ask you. Just three random questions. Sure. Um, the first one is, will children born today have a better life than us? Um, no. Will children? Yeah. Um, I mean, by, by the book. Things are exceptionally better than they ever have been before. I can't remember the name of what that uh, that scale is referred to, but it's the safest time in human history as far as people have been able to understand. There's far less poverty in the world than there ever has been, even though there's far more people. Um, in that sense, yeah, sure, children have a far better, not easier, but there's, it's a far uh, better or less dangerous time to be alive. In the other sense, and maybe this only applies more to westernized world, I'm not too sure, but in the other sense, there's so much degradation of culture and society in it. And I want to be very specific to say in the sense of how the internet changes our perceptions and understanding and interaction of reality. That very specifically is, and I know that mightn't apply, that doesn't apply to a lot of the world, but that is the other negative that's coming towards us and already is at us. So yeah, in one sense, and obviously in the best sense possible, there's less poverty, there's more total health. People are living longer. In the other sense, there's there's the other unforeseen enemy that's coming and we have to deal with it in some sense, but the generations below us, as you were saying, kids, and as more generations come along, they're going to tackle what it is, what reality is, through specifically the internet and what it isn't. And yeah, I don't know how they're going to be able to handle that. I'm glad that I don't have to do that. Yeah, um, like I, I agree. I think there's far more opportunity um, nowadays, but with opportunity comes expectation <coughs> and a lot more pressure to be able to, you know, I, I often use growing up, what was said, if you don't go to college, you're not, you know, whereas 20 years ago, you don't go to college, it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. not many people went to college. So there's always the more opportunity that comes, the level of expectation goes with it. Of so um, I agree with you there 100%. It's definitely a better time because you have more opportunities, but there is more expectation. The internet brings more expectation again with that. And it's um, it's one of those things. Um, social media can be used so well, but it can be used so badly. And it's used more negatively at times than it is positively. Obviously, you've told me you went off social media for a couple of years. Can you tell me about that time just before we move on? What it was like? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so I'd use social media for work and obviously just for myself as well, as anyone would. And then up until September of last year, I'd stopped using all social media um, for about two years, um, primarily because I hated it. And secondly, because it wasn't, and that's plain and simple, and because it wasn't giving me any value. I wasn't using it correctly. And to, again, to use cliches, but it was using me like I was using habitually and so on. So it stopped using it for two years. And then I realized why I should be using it for work specifically. Um, I found what way I want to be able to communicate. Um, I found how I'm comfortable communicating what I want to say. So that gave me a why, gave me the reason to start using it for work again. And outside of that, I haven't gone back to using it in any personal sense. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I do use 
I mean, how, how social are some apps? I do use YouTube, a few accounting, social media apps, but other than that, I don't use it. Um, I don't think there's too much benefit. In terms yeah. of cases, um, I think there's a big misconception. People don't realize that you're using a lot of free social media software. If you're not paying for it, you become the product. And it's different, it's different for people who are running businesses through it. But if you're not paying for it, your data is the product, and that doesn't sit well with me at all. Um, so that's what still keeps me away from using it. Okay. So it's the kind of the mindful, what's the word I'm kind of looking for? Just the purely no purpose scrolling kind of. I couldn't even think of the word I was looking for, but just scrolling for yeah. the sake of scrolling, looking what John down the road is doing, Mary down the road is doing. That's just not appeal to you, and it just kind of has a negative impact more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's safe to say every single person who does that would prefer not to do it. I prefer not to do it, so I don't do it. And that's that's the extent of it, of just not allowing myself to do those kind of things. Because it's there's too much time wasted. don't have an infinite amount of time, and I want to make sure that I'm at least doing something with it. And scrolling mindlessly isn't something that's doing anything. Yeah, no, I agree, because like, up till maybe... A few years ago, I had a big change kind of mentally, a big switch in terms of how I kind of act in life. But social media to me right now, there's about, I don't know how many few hundred followers that I have, but out of those people, there's about 10 that if they have a post up, I'd actually look at it. Yeah, the rest absolutely. Of them, the rest of them will be just be, you know, it won't, I just won't want to see it, you know. It's, and it's not against them, it's just those are the, the people that I have interested in what they put out. That's it. Yeah, um, I guess that, I mean, in one sense, there's a something that you could consider as I don't say something like true fans, but there are people who genuinely give an interest and are concerned and interested by what you have to say. Um, there's going to be a lot more people who will view it, but they're not. That's not of any importance. So I think that's where people, uh, especially in terms of using Instagram to, to promote themselves if they have a business, having followers. It doesn't really necessarily. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting more use out of it or gaining from it. Yeah, and that's just the way it is. People do confuse the two of them. That an increase in the amount of people viewing it doesn't mean that there's an increase in the amount of people who will directly come and interact with your product. Exactly. Like it's funny enough. Actually, I looked at one. I put up a post the last day, and I looked at how many views was on my story. There are more views in my story than people that follow me. So clearly, there's people who are looking at to know what I have than compared to what they're actually even following. So yeah, you know, it's it's amazing how social media works, really. Yeah, it's a it's a weird thing to navigate. Um, and it's obviously important if you own a business that you do have to involve yourself in some of it. But it is a very strange thing to navigate because it's so disconnected from the outside world or the real world and such. Angel. Yeah, it is. It's like two separate words, to be fair. It really is. Um, I'll move on just because we'll be taking too much of your time. But um, are people too quick to judge others? That's the next question. <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, similar to what we'd mentioned before. Um, yes, and there's benefit to that. But there's another side. So again, we're animals. I mean, us humans are animals. We need to have an initial conception whether it be right or wrong, we have to have an initial uh, opinion on someone so that we can judge them initially. I mean, if we didn't, we'd be constantly involved in correct situations, dangerous situations, getting taken advantage of repeatedly. So we should be judging people like immediately. I mean, that's just human nature, and I don't think there's any negative whatsoever in that. The flip side of it is if you hold that initial idea as permanent truth, then that's where you get into the, the kind of the grayer area of it is how someone presents obviously is a reflection of them, but it does not, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have uh, any understanding awareness of their, their kind of true selves as such. So yeah, we should judge people because it's, it's a sensible thing to have judgment towards others. But should we hold that judgment permanently? No, of course not, because that doesn't, that doesn't benefit anyone. Yeah, no, like you've everything you've said there just hit the nail on the head. Um, we're human, like you said, we're animals at the end of the day. We're like our natural instinct is to judge from the word go, but it's holding that. And there's, I think, there's in this world, there's too many people that hold that judgment instead of you know having an open mind saying, okay, people like we change every day, like you know, there's there's one thing that we're guaranteed and that's change. 
Um, mm. It's just it's happening around us all the time. It's happening within us. It's happening everywhere. So, but people that kind of hold the judgment is kind of where I be getting now with the question. It seems to just happen a lot. Yeah. Um, again, like we should have judgments because it's important that we get an instant idea of someone. But I mean, to be an intelligent human, then at the other side of it, to be socially intelligent is to know that your idea of someone. It only holds so much merit. I can only hold that merit for so long. Um, so yeah, I guess that's where you know intelligence or emotional intelligence or social intelligence or maturity comes into play. Having enough, having enough brains in your head, and it's something that you can learn. I mean, just having enough brains to realize that, like, yeah, you need to know someone before you actually know them. And I know that sounds stupid, but you do actually need to know someone yeah. before you have proper understanding of them. One hundred percent. Yeah, definitely agree with that. So the last question out of that is, do aliens exist? <laughs> um, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> I like the idea. I love entertaining the idea of it. And I do read a lot of science fiction and watch a lot of science fiction. Um, so yeah, in a, in, in, in a sense, yeah, I hope so. That's, that's something that I, I do enjoy the idea of it. What the reality of that means, Jesus, I don't know. I mean... Aliens can be, you know, I don't say like anything could be alien. I mean, what alien? What what is life? I mean, are we talking about like microbial entities that are on other planets, just little pieces of microscopic nothingness to us? Um or do we mean actual full human sized or, or, or other species? I mean, I haven't a clue. But yeah, I love the idea of it. It entertains me a lot. I get a lot of joy and fun out of that. So yeah, I, for, for fun I hope so, yes. The reality yeah. of it must be all that different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like you often hear the expression, oh, that's alien to me. Do you know, mm. so alien could literally be anything that we don't know. Say if we can't identify something, that, that could be an alien. Do you know, you just don't know. Like, um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a weird one. I mean, Jesus, even in terms of like varying species that are found, say, uh, specifically in like extreme depths of the ocean. That's as alien as anything else is. So, I mean, yeah, are there aliens on other planets? I haven't a clue, but there is certainly a lot of things that are absolutely lost that are surrounding us that we just don't have any perception or awareness of. Um, in terms of aliens flying around space, I don't know, man, but the idea contains me quite a lot, so I get a lot of mileage out of them. Uh, instead of heaven, we'll go on. We'll go to see the aliens after we die. Yeah. <laughs> we know, we, we turn into aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Control the whole world. <laughs> Um, right, so we just we're right near the end of the show. Just the last couple of questions here. So, what three things do you do daily um, to improve your overall well-being? Three things I do daily. Um, they're probably going to be very general things, but they're they're specific in how I do them for myself. Um, going outside, like specifically going outside, um, and I don't mean going outside to exercise. Sure, that's the sense, but just going outside and moving around in your environment. Um, that's very specific. And I know a lot of people kind of look at that and go, yeah, of course you should go outside. But I do mean like going outside without headphones on, without anything, nothing at all. And, and, and headphones specifically as well. Nothing at all with you that changes your environment around you and existing in that environment. And um, that specifically for health, mental health, emotional health, whatever you may call it. <laughs> and what else? That's a good question. I do uh, a lot of, and I don't want to say meditation, but it's meditative to me. Um, moving and using my body. I mean, people will mobilize and stretch and do these different things, but I'll, I'll do stuff like sitting into a like a squat, like a passive squat at rest for a half hour or an hour at a time. Yeah, it took years. No, don't get me wrong. That took years and years and years to develop that. Um, so I can sit into a squat passively now for, I don't want to say an unbroken amount of time, but for a very long amount of time. Um, moving my body, man, just, I don't know, being in my kitchen with some music on and not dancing to it, but just moving my joints, moving my body, yeah. being aware and understanding of what my body is doing, what it feels like, and trying to change that if I don't like how it feels physically. Yeah, I'll interact with my physicality in the sense of, some people will look at it like mobilization or stretching, but I don't. It's just moving my body around to make it feel a bit better. Um, then other general stuff, like, yeah, like I eat a very specific way or I do other specific things. 
keep my health in check outside of training. But no, that, that's probably I, I probably don't have a third one that's going to be of any of any other major conversation. It's going outside without distractions, including headphones, and moving my body and being comfortable with it. Yeah, I loved it. Like both of them, obviously. Actually, my last podcast guest Megan, she was saying the exact same thing: remove the headphones and get outside and become one with your environment. And it's it's the deliberate action of being outside, not for any other purpose, but being there in that natural environment. It's a huge thing. I, I absolutely love it. Um, the main thing I do is I go up and I visit my grandparents. I just go for a walk up there and I just actually like if anyone saw me, they think I'm mad. I actually have a conversation with a headstone. Like, it's weird, but I, I do it. Like it's it's very uncomfortable. So, um, yeah, I totally agree with that. But I love the one I've never heard anyone else say it, but the move of their body. I, like, I would be in the kitchen and there mightn't even be any music on. But if I took a step a certain way and it just there was a feeling off it, I'd, I'd, I'd explore that like straight away. Yeah. And be saying, okay, how does that feel? Yeah, it's just, it's amazing how that works. Like, yeah, because, like, as I was saying earlier about using, like, say, the Irish language or whatever language it would be relative to a person in their own place using food as another way to communicate with your environment. Your body is your initial interaction with the environment around you. And to not ever use it or explore it is, well, one, it's an absolute shame. But two, it also, like, you just slowly lose all of your capacities as a human. And you end up being, like, locked into the shell that's of no real use to you. So, yeah, like, and then there's no, and there are people who specialize in, in, you know, various forms of movement outside of strength training. but I don't think you need to to get much further into just being in your own body and moving it in varying ways. See what happens and see how it makes you feel. Yeah, no, it's a lovely. It's it's something that's really there's there's you become a will with yourself. There's something really nice about it. You know that that feeling of oh yeah, I can do this and you know and understanding it really and kind of. But the thing is, there's no like there's no limit on it. Like there's always yeah. something new that you're going to get, and it's it's really interesting. There's no. Um, there's no sense of right or wrong. Like there is yeah. no boundary to it. It's just just moving. Like and that can be can be daunting because it's like, well, move what? Move in what way? What direction? I need I need to know something. But that in itself, once you remove the daunting aspect of it, you get more comfortable. It's very freeing in the sense of, well, I just move and whatever happens, happens. Exactly. It's very natural when you get the more kind of you do it and the more comfortable you come with it. Um, so the last the last question, Paul, is and it might you might have the same two answers as you had there, but if you had to give people recommendations, like anyone listening at the moment, to improve their well being, what would you say to them? Um, yeah, I'd still like I'll add to it, but yeah, definitely go outside without any any form of distraction. Um, move your body in any way that you see fit. Um, outside of that. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure that I'll say anything too specific or too good that can add to that. And I think that those obviously I'm given my like the, you asked me two three things that I would that I do for myself. I obviously have my reasons for it. And you know, going outside is fine. You can tell someone go outside. You can tell someone move their body, but more specifically, find why you should do it. Obviously, find your interests in it, but very specifically, know why you should be doing it. So don't just go outside and not realize. And well, no, do go outside. The very reason for going outside is that there is no reason other than to exist. And I, that can sound very out of left field. That can sound very silly to some people. But just go outside and exist. Some people will say, "Oh, just be yourself or whatever like that, or exist on your own terms." Literally, go outside, walk around without a plan, and just exist as yourself. And that's that's probably all. That's what that is. There doesn't need to be any profound reason behind it. I might have some very specific reasons other people might, but just go outside. When is the last time most people went outside and didn't do anything other than just walked around and existed in their own environment? And that's I, that's that's a pretty decent challenge to put towards yourself is to just exist outside on your own and see what happens. Yeah, like I, I often quote myself, and literally I just look at the sky, I look across the fields or anything like that. I just take a deep breath. And when you have such an appreciation for things like that, it's it's so fulfilling. It's it's actually unbelievable. Like it's just it's an amazing feeling to appreciate everything that we already have. Like it's yeah, it's very calming, but it's it it's a lot of things to a lot of people, but it's freeing. It stops you being attached yeah. to other things, and you just 
you just are there's no added things to it there's no asterisks to it it's just you existing and that's that's pretty profound in itself it is yeah if you can find meaning in that and identify yourself with that it's very powerful Paul, I can't thank you enough. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation with you. I'm sure loads of people will take an awful lot out of that. Guys, make sure to check out Sayer Strength on Instagram. And if any of you are going interested in getting into strength training or powerlifting or anything like that, Paul is the man to go to. So make sure to check him out. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it and we will catch you in a bit. Thank you very much.